Hey everyone, you may have noticed there are no advertising interruptions on this podcast. If you're enjoying the series, I'd appreciate a positive review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Hello and welcome to Time for a Story, Scary Stories from a Small Town in Maine. Season 4, Chapter 5 Soap This world has only one sweet moment set aside for us. Queen In a flash he was over her, his whole body transformed into a protective plank, poised to shield her from whatever was coming next. And when the rain touched her face, he held his hand up and gently covered her eyes. In all of her years of knowing Nathan, Amelia had never been this close to him. Both of them had read the small print of their respective career choices, no public displays of affection, and of course, both of them had taken the credo to an extreme. The sheriff had been to her home countless times when Harper was alive, having a chaperone made it okay to visit. But after Harper's death, Nathan stopped coming. He would not put the doctor's reputation in jeopardy. Amelia had taken it to mean that she had done something wrong. Neither one had thought to discuss it. Some lines feel like an electric fence. Now she could smell his soap, the oiled leather of his holster, and the wood smoke on his raincoat. She decided that it was a good smell, good enough to be the last thing she would ever remember. You all right? Nathan asked kindly. Amelia shook her head, yes, and to prove it, she smiled weakly. That's good. Let's get you inside. All right, she answered. But neither one moved. The hesitation did not last long, only a moment, but it was enough for them both to understand that they were very happy to see each other. Okay, then. One, two, three... Sheriff Randall had taken Amelia's hand and was helping her to her feet. He continued to hold her while he brushed the dirt off of her back and checked for injuries. You took quite a fall backwards. You sure you're okay? I'm sure. Come on, we can't stay here. Dr. Karen was moving back to the house, but she could not bring herself to let go of Nathan's hand. Ed was rubbing his low back absent-mindedly. The pain was like a toothache. There's no time for this, he thought. Every exterior light had been turned on, and Ed was scanning the property as he walked the first-floor windows of his lake house. His thin body was bisected by a black Velcro gun holster. A loaded pistol would not be of much use, and he knew it, 
but he still took comfort in having it. At the very least, it might buy him some time. Once Amelia arrived, he would make a point to assure her that the gun was for self-defense and not an exit strategy. He was not going to leave her. He was better than Clyde. His conscience was right there. There you go again, judging. Two loaded syringes were in his shirt pocket. Two doses felt extravagant, given how little of the sedative they actually had, but success depended on a direct hit. Nothing mattered unless there was a direct hit. Still no call from Sheriff Randall. Ed checked his watch again. He should have heard something by now. He paced, checking locks and feeding the wood stove. His patrol took him through the kitchen, where he stopped to study the security cameras. So far, all was quiet, but it was still early. In a few more hours, things would look very different. The nights were always so long, and he dreaded them. There were the voices, with their constant drip of horrible taunting, and there were the shadows. Initially, Ed had seen two, Samantha and something else, but as of the last few nights, he thought his cameras had picked up a third shadow. He wasn't sure. He opened the cupboard over the coffee machine and grabbed an expensive bottle of Kentucky rye. He was done patrolling alone. It was time to move upstairs. With special thanks to the gulag-grade floodlight system and the impressive height of the second floor, looking down gave him the best view of his property. He watched the rain scrub the stone of the back patio before his eyes followed the path down to the boathouse. From up here, the raindrops looked like pencil lines, like gray projectiles from a spear gun. He was squinting, trying to examine the long shadows behind the trees. That's where she had been the first time he noticed her, standing behind one of the ancient pines that lined the path. She had looked terrible, and had he not seen her body on the stainless steel gurney only that spring, he would have rushed outside to help her. Instead, he stood stock still, frozen behind the glass of the great room. He remembered his shock of that visit and the dry thought, it's the first time she's ever come to the lake voluntarily. That night, he had laughed at his own joke, and then he cried, harder than he had ever allowed himself before. And then he screamed. Ed was now in the acceptance phase of his grief. There was never going to be any joy for him. His dreams had eaten themselves, had given up the fight, and allowed bad things to settle in and metastasize, just like the pain in his body. Despite his efforts, despite the million-dollar view and the gourmet stonework, everything he touched had turned rancid. He could feel it in his bones and taste it in his mouth. Time for another swig of the rye. The yard was quiet for now. With the upstairs walk now complete, Ed moved toward the staircase. He was on his way downstairs when his cell phone rang. Dr. Karen's name appeared on his screen. Amelia, where have you been? Tell me you're okay. I'm okay. 
we have the dipper van and are headed to your place now. And Ed, I saw her. She was at my house waiting for me. Ed swallowed hard and hung up. And in that moment, Clyde White was there, standing next to him along the grand wooden staircase. Ed had spent the summer overcompensating for the failures of the old man. And now it was time for Ed to move on. The two fathers finished the descent together, and then Ed never looked back. Within the span of thirty minutes, the doctor, the sheriff, and the assistant were standing together in the mudroom. They remained quiet as raincoats were hung and bags were unpacked. Ed took the small white box from Amelia. I keep the syringes dispersed in specific locations around the house. I'll put these eight at the top of the upstairs landing. Amelia nodded affirmatively. Sheriff Randall looked at his watch and then checked his phone. I can't stay here. I'm on the clock. We're all on the clock, Sheriff, Ed said flatly. Come on in and we'll talk. Amelia and Nathan followed Ed into the kitchen, both of them now well over the shock of Ed's doomsday prepper style of decorating. Ed stood facing them with the gray lighting of the security cameras behind him. Let's keep the lights dim inside so that we can see out of the windows. It's still a little early, but soon enough, these cameras will be very busy. And later, you'll hear lots of beeping. That's the perimeter security system. They come in from the east side of the property, always from the east. I can confirm the presence of two visitors, although that may have changed recently. My cameras picked something up a few nights ago, and I'm still trying to figure out what it is. It has no discernible shape, at least not that I can see, because it doesn't come close to the house. Ed looked down, suddenly self-conscious. He was saying too much, too fast. He took a breath. I'm doing most of the talking here. I'll stop and let you ask any questions. Dr. Karen looked at Ed, and then at Nathan. Nobody said a word. Rain pelted the windows. Amelia crossed the kitchen to Ed's position by the breakfast nook and embraced him. She was so relieved to see him, and he needed to know it. At first, Ed remained rigid, afraid to let himself go, afraid that his feelings would come back and eat him alive. But Amelia held on, gently patting her assistant. He smelled faintly of expensive cologne and whiskey. Remember what you told me in the diner, Ed. It feels lonely, but you're not alone. Remember? Yes, but I'm supposed to take care of you, not the other way around, he said. I think the three of us all suffer from the same disease. Maybe we should get matching t-shirts. Nathan smiled. Amelia had made a joke, and he was grateful for it. Grateful for her. She continued, We're here now, and we're in this together. Okay? Finally, Ed's arms rose up to reciprocate the hug. Ed, she said softly, you have been my protector and my dearest friend for years, and I love you for it. The doctor stepped back and took Ed by the shoulders. 
everything you've done so far, all of this, it's damned incredible. And you're right. We're all on the clock. So stop worrying about talking too much and just tell us what we need to do. Ed looked at Dr. Karen. He wanted to make sure she meant what she had just said. She never blinked. Nathan moved closer and nodded to Ed, as if giving him the green light to go on. All right, then, he said. We go to where they sleep, and we wait for them to come back. We will bring syringes and weapons. We leave before dawn. What sort of weapons, Ed? the sheriff asked cautiously. The kind that will kill these things. Now, let's get the ATV loaded up. We don't have much time. We aren't packing the suitcases. I thought the plan was to sedate and then contain. You know, like we did with Abram. Dr. Karen wanted to keep her questions to a minimum, but now she was confused. No. Change of plans. We don't need those anymore, Ed responded with some care. He knew the doctor would have concerns. While Amelia worked to reconcile the Hippocratic Oath with Ed's newsflash, Nathan took another step forward and touched her arm reassuringly before responding to Ed. I have a feeling I'm going to like this plan. If control was the goal, then nothing was going to plan. But if chaos and destruction were the goal, then all was as it should be. Acceptance of evil must be total, release to it completely, or reject it. Controlling it, however, is not on the menu. Samantha was now a killing machine, an invasive organism implanted only to do evil for evil's sake, and she was completely under its spell. For now, this machine was making decisions, attempting for a short while to write the program. This illusion was something the darkness allowed, encouraged even. It was necessary to believe in domination, to see a world that belonged only to you, because this was the way forward. More than anything that had gone before her, this stone-cold creature saw her overtaking of the darkness as her destiny. But gifts of depravity come with strings. And like all the other creatures before Samantha, these delusions of grandeur would take care of themselves, bopping and folding under the ever-increasing demand to feed the pain. The darkness had nothing to do but wait. There were three others that would not transition, could not accept their fate. They were back at the abandoned house, writhing in pain and begging for the sweet relief of death. They were weak, and, being of no use, would be left to wither and die like seedlings in the hot sun. No matter, Samantha was the key to an endless supply of the willing. The darkness allowed the time for Samantha to gain strength and confidence, it hovered just beyond the line of light and shadow, while she hunted only what pleased her and delighted in the slow torture of her father. Samantha believed he was a weakling, easy prey, but the darkness wasn't so sure, and so as a precaution, it followed her. Ooh.
Soap. Written and performed by Bridget Emmons. Visit my website at BridgetEmmons.com and follow me on Instagram at Main Stories. Thank you for listening.